VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Welcome to episode two of The Ruck, our first episode since the kickoff of the new Gallagher Premiership season. I'm Alex Lowe and I'm joined by Will Keller. Hello, Will. Hello, how's it going? And by Mark Evans. Bola to Mark Evans. Bola. Hey, dude. We'll, uh, we'll explain. Mark is moving to Fiji, which we'll discuss later in, in the pod, to take charge of their Super Rugby franchise. So well, we're going to make the most of him until he, he heads down to the Southern Hemisphere. How are you, Mark? I'm well, thanks. I'm well, thanks. Congratulations on the new role. Yeah, thank you. Look forward to hearing all about it later. Um, we'll, we're going to have a, a packed pod full of... Well, we're going to try and balance it because we want to we want to talk about the positive side of rugby. We, we all love the game. It's really difficult. The game makes it really difficult to do that, doesn't it? Well, there's been a lot of negative conversations about everything from scheduling to who's allowed to play to governance, which we have to cover. But we will, we promise we will also focus on on the bit that thrills us all, which is which is the rugby. Yeah, it's funny because I think we were desperate for some games to start because we've been spending the last month or so writing about Worcester mainly and the situation, the financial hell that's going on there and thought, right, well, the games will start and that'll get much better. And then obviously with unforeseen circumstances with the Queen passing away that's caused more drama, more sort of cracks in rugby's governance and rugby's organisation. And I don't know, I felt like we've sort of slumped into the season a bit. We've had a bit of a shambolic start. Some of the rugby was quite good. Some of it was a bit dull. I was at Exeter-Leicester. I felt like that was... It got good in the last 30 seconds with the last try of the game, to be honest. We'll get onto it in more detail in a bit, but... Yeah, we're sort of sighing into the season rather than sort of, I don't know, laughing away into September, I suppose. Last time I saw you, Mark, it was at Lords. Indeed, do I do. Yeah, yeah. It was after tea, if it anyone was, needs a was... clue as to whether or not <laughs> anyone might remember it. <laughs> I bumped into you outside the bar at the back of the tavern stand. Uh, the great English sporting summer. There we are, part of it. <laughs> right, so, packed pod coming up. Um, yeah, Premiership action, governance, Worcester, all that to, to come. We'll start by answering the question, does Premiership Rugby need a commissioner? A question which has been thrown up by the events that unfolded following the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Will and I on Friday were were working together, trying trying to piece together what rugby's reaction was going to be over the weekend. Um, The story seemed to keep keep changing Um, and and I think the reaction will publicly has has been less about what decision was made and Mm. more about how it was made and how long it took to be made yeah what was your give us your kind of precy of of how it was from your side so as we all know we the world was told that the Queen had passed away about 6.30 on Thursday so then sport needed to make a big decision about whether to play on the weekend because obviously unprecedented in modern times that the monarch dies, so there wasn't really a plan. So cricket made a big decision and said, right, we're not going to play on Friday. A swift decision as a well. A swift decision. Football then waited until uh, about 11-ish on Friday to make a decision to not play any Premier League or EFL fixtures at all. Premiership Rugby, having had a meeting with DCMS in the morning with all the other sports, then were umming and ahhing. We We had words early on Friday that they were pretty much all going to play the two games of Friday were going to happen as is on BT Sport the Bristol Bath game and then I think they saw what what football decided to do and changed their mind I think the unwieldy nature of it was that the way that Premiership Rugby is structured is that they have to consult all clubs and we've been told that two of the clubs who weren't playing on Friday were key decision makers for them not playing on Friday which angered Bristol and angered Sale because they had plenty of money coming through the gates up to 200,000 was Bristol was saying that they 
missed out on earning because of the changes of hospitality, security, ticket sales. I've had Bristol fans messaging me saying I've now had to put myself up in a hotel with my kids, spend another 200 quid. Um, it was a difficult decision to make with no precedent, but I think it kind of exposed some fissures and slightly shambolic nature of and I th- yeah, I rugby's decision-making process. I think the question... So football took a decision from the Premiership, Premier League down to grassroots that the sport was off. Rugby followed government guidance, so the RFU allowed the sport to continue. So the championship matches went ahead on, on Friday. Mark, I think I think the, the, the key to this conversation isn't so much the, the decision. I think if, if rugby had made a decision on Thursday night to postpone the Friday night games, um, there would have been far less of a conversation. It's about how we ended up with that decision. And really, as, as Will says, they weren't in a position to make a, a quick, streamlined decision because the, 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 the governance structure of the league required 13 clubs to come together. And that's that's surely no way to effectively run a, a league. I mean, you've you have worked in in NRL and in the in the Premier League in the Premiership. What, what what's your take on on this governance structure? Is it is it too unwieldy? Is it is it um, does it need to be streamlined? Does it need a commissioner? As the the question was posed. Yes, it is too unwieldy. Um, yes, it does need far more executive power. By which you, I mean that you empower through delegated authority from the board to the senior management. It is a ludicrous situation where you have to call a meeting of 13 shareholders who have all conflicted. I think the interesting thing that you said there, Will, two teams who weren't playing on Friday were amongst the strongest, saying, no, no, we must cancel, we must cancel. They are totally conflicted. And this is, this is just an example of... Um, the governance of Premier Rugby, and I, we, I understand why, it's because it goes back to 1996, I hate to say everybody, when Premier Rugby was put together, it was, put up, it was created as a commercial entity to hold the rights to the, to the league. Okay? It was not set up to, as a governing body or a regulator of the league. And from that significant mistake which we have not rectified in the subsequent 26 years, any number of problematic decisions and issues arise. This is just the latest. There's another one coming, right? In a year or two's time, the agreement is that it will only need three clubs voting in favour for the salary cap to go back up to 6.4 at a time when everybody is still losing money. There's a reason why we've never fixed the business model of the English Premiership, it's because you can't get it through 13 voting clubs or 12 voting clubs. The governance of the Premiership is completely and utterly inappropriate. You, you said in previous episodes of, of the pod, Mark, you, you've described what it was like working in in the NRL. Mm. And, and the example that, that sticks in my mind is was a marketing one. And, and this could be extrapolated across all sorts of different areas. But you've talked about Melbourne Storm sluggish ticket sales you needed to push a game NRL would 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 take ownership of that in the premiership we have 13 separate businesses who don't really as we'll come on to later in the pod care a huge amount about the other 12 and the success of the other 12 it's about them you know you, you there's a lot of um repeated resources there as well there's no nothing centralized we we it, it's we just way way too decentralized um, and it's not that the clubs in the NRL aren't fiercely independent and love each other, because they don't. Right? But, but the structure is stuff that the NRL in the middle and the commission in the middle, they've got effectively most of the power. Now, that's not to say there aren't huge rows, there aren't to see there's a lot of policy, but at the end of the day, if the CEO of the NRL or the chairman of the NRL makes a decision, they've made a decision. Yes, they might consult, but it's an informal consultation. And the Indian might not like it. You know, we used to whinge like hell about, God, you've given us another five-day turnaround on the schedule. Well, hard luck, mate, came back the answer. You're a high-rating team on TV, and that's how we fund the game. So suck it up and get on with it. 
that's how it worked. Mm. Now, you used to lobby like hell that, you know, we had three last year. We only want, come on, give it to the Roosters this year. We want one and all that kind of stuff. Of course, all that went on. But at the end of the day, they're running the league. The clubs aren't. And the club chairman, some of whom are very, very powerful people within the game, they did have to recognise that at the end of the day, they weren't making the decisions. The league made the decisions in the interests of the league, and that's how they grew its commercial value. Do you remember, Alex, I'm just thinking back to post-COVID when we came back and restarted behind closed doors. What was the big thing? It was take a knee, don't take a knee. Rugby against racism. Mm. That was a similar example of 13 clubs thinking all different things and coming up with different responses which dilutes the whole message. So you had some people doing a heart, you had some people doing a circle, you had some people kneeling, some people not kneeling. And that was quite a fraught political issue and it was tied up with people's religion and all sorts of different things. But when you then came up with 13 different ways of trying to show what you wanted to show, T-shirts, standing in a line, standing in a circle, standing in a heart, whatever... The whole thing just got messy and eventually they just sort of scrapped it. And like I remember speaking to one of the first interviews I did for the Times when I joined six months ago was with Paolo Dogwu and he said, to be honest, it just felt that we were just doing it for the sake of it and the message was totally diluted. And it's a totally different set of things that they were dealing with there, but it was another example of how the sort of the group is... Or it's What's that quote? It's... A camel is a horse designed by a committee, isn't it? No one ends up with what they wanted because everyone's put their own little bit in onto it. But it's worse than a committee because you've got these are shareholder groups. These are participants. You know, these are clubs who are in the competition. It's not just a question of having a large number of people. 13 is by far too many anyway. But to, to ever expect on anything significant with 13 competing clubs to come to a unanimous decision is going to be rare and it even if it happened more often it would take an awful long time and in certain situations time is of the essence it needs a a, a prompt response otherwise all kinds of rumors fill, fill fill the vacuum and it, it happens across a whole load of, of less uh, i suppose critical issues such as well well i know one close to you, you guys hearts on, on this show you know Access to players, right? Access to coaches after the game, how much, you know, all the rest of it. In most leagues, that is determined by the middle. And what clubs, whether clubs like it or don't like it, access to changing rooms, all that kind of stuff, it's all done in the middle and then you have to deliver it. And if you don't deliver it, you get fined. And if you really don't deliver it on something serious, you can lose points. And that, there's a discipline in that that comes from the governance structure that we just don't have. And it damages us as a, as a sport at a time when we want to talk it up and we want to get a bigger share of voice in various platforms. And it makes it extraordinarily difficult because all we read about is negativity. a sort of negativity yeah, about it, which is, is deeply <clears throat> distressing. Well, what I would say is we've... Uh, in our jobs dealt with the new guys at Premiership Rugby Simon Massey-Taylor mm. Martin Phillips who have come in recently and I, it seems from our perspective their heart's in a, a good place they're trying to make good changes they're positive and actually on a similar note I think I went and had a chat with Martin and I who runs the United Rugby Championship and so did you Alex earlier in the week at their launch and I think from these new administrators well I know he's been in his position for a number of years but there is a genuine understanding that things like access and things like marketing the leagues needs to improve massively, and they're trying. But And everyone we speak to goes, yeah, yeah, brilliant. We'd love to do this. We'd love to tell players' stories. We'd love to market. We'd love to have better social media. We'd love to be on telly more. We want more tickets sold and stuff like that. But something's getting in the way because that's not happening. I think um, you talk about Simon Massey-Taylor and Martin Phillips there. They've got a, a challenge on their hands because they've inherited an organisation that had lost the faith of its member totally, clubs. Yeah. So when Darren Charles and they were was making decisions without them, weren't they? Yeah, they, they were. They were going around the around the edges of Premiership Rugby. They during... were releasing statements on their own behalf, Correct. separate from Premiership Rugby, because they were so annoyed about what was going on. And there was a moment 
on Friday when that started to happen as well. Absolutely, that the clubs yeah. were, were starting to, to get together and they wrote a statement that, that they put out themselves rather than through Premiership Rugby. Yeah. So... I do. Sorry, just to add the context to that, that was their teams were going to be announced at midday on Friday, as they usually are, but the decision had to be made about whether they were playing. So it's understood that one of the comms managers at one of the teams just prepared a little statement for all of them to put out. And that didn't come from Premiership Rugby, that just came from them going, well, we've got to say something because our fans are going, They're waiting for the are teams. you going to announce the team in two yeah. minutes? So I, I do think, you know, Mark, you're, you're really plugged into to governance, but it feels to me like... Simon Massey Taylor and Martin Phillips understand the, the, need, the need for the, for these clubs to prioritise the league rather than themselves. They do. The problem is convincing them to trust the Premiership Rugby where they hadn't in in years gone by. We, we've 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 been saying that since 1997. You know, no, it's all about the league. You're only as strong as your weakest team, and we've been we've paid lip service to it. And I think there is a, a certainly a, no question. There's an understanding amongst the executives that that that's what's required. We haven't changed the structures. I, I do ask one more question. Where's CBC in all this? You know, they're the biggest. They're the biggest shareholder, and they're not stupid people. Um, and I am. I am still very, very surprised that this has been avoided to date. Um, as far as I'm aware, and I it may be that I'm not. I'm not. Uh, there may be things going on. I'm not aware of. I can't see yet any significant go- significant governance reform or or even a governance review that would be a good start um to say look this is not this is suboptimal you know there have been too many occasions in too many issues where this has been the case surely we have to bring about some reforms i i i'd i'm really really surprised that that pressure hasn't been brought to bear can i just say that the sort of what happened on the fields, I suppose, as a result of this sort of slightly shambolic decision-making, is then you had a game that was meant to be on BC Sport on Friday night, Bristol Bath, that was picked as a TV game to start the season. A great derby, and it would have been a brilliant mm, TV game. Would. 31-29 with a drop goal missed the last play of the game that was not broadcast at all, didn't have a TMO. There was I've watched it back. Premiership Rugby did well to get some highlights or full match feed up on their website afterwards that you could now watch. But there's only on Monday morning that I've I seen now a clip of one of Ellis Genji's tries, which is amazing. So that's taken two days to get out there. There was a moment also where the referee, there was a big fight that involved Richard D. Carpentier and the referee literally said to him, you're lucky there's not a TMO here. And you think, what are we <laughs> doing? Like, imagine if the Premier League, as much as people don't like VAR and everything else, said, oh, sorry, everyone, we're not having VR today for this game and Liverpool-Chelsea's just not going to have it. Yeah. And they're fine with that and it's mm-hmm. just OK. And we understand that the reason why is because you need six cameras and a replay facility to run the TMO and the production company used for sale Northampton, which is, wasn't going to be on BT but had the same situation, weren't, they didn't have them available. But you just think... This is meant to be a league that's taken seriously and is professional and has been doing this for 20-odd years and we don't have the same facilities at each ground. And there isn't. it's the first game of the season and there's not a TMO. Yeah. Like, what is going on? And as far as I understand it, all the stuff... And, and don't get me wrong, I think this is a really difficult one to, to manage, to be fair. But I, I, we're talking about the process rather than the, yeah. the decisions, aren't yeah. we? And there was a precedent. I'm old enough to remember Di- Princess Diana dying and all the, what happened over that weekend. Right, so it has happened before. It happened yeah. in the second year of the league. Mm. Um, but what did they I, do actually? What did they cancelled? Yeah, yeah. Um, as but as I, I as I understand it, we're now moving Northampton's home game on Friday night, another mm-hmm. television game to Saturday. What, so another TV night goes, and so. that decision was only really I've seen, and if I'm wrong, then I'll be happily corrected. But only been put out on Northampton's Twitter account, and I know people who've said to me over the weekend. I'm a Northampton States fan. I don't have Twitter, and I didn't know that that game's off. And our office were asking us earlier today who's covering the Friday game, and we had to tell them it's not on Friday. But like, yeah. it hasn't been communicated. They should, they should have read know. our news story. And, then they don't know <laughs> and I don't understand that because you, if that's the is that the league's decision or are they did, did they say, did Northampton request it? Because if it's a league decision, I don't understand it. I understand why Northampton would want it. Five day turnarounds yeah. are hard, but most most leagues would say. Hard luck. 
you know, we're 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 going. We go three games a weekend. That is our broadcast offer to the public and to the and to the fans. And we're really sorry that you're going to have to play again in five days' time. But that's just the way it is. It's an extraordinary situation. But we just shift it at, at, at less than a week's notice. And it'll be about player welfare, won't it? Well, what about spectator welfare? And what about you know the money audience? they're spending on getting there? And, and what about and broadcast? And, yeah. I mean, you know, guys. It just doesn't feel right to me. But this is what I think you said at the top, is that we want to be positive about the league. We want to start off on a new page and a fresh season and everything else. But everything that's happening at the moment in the Premiership, let's keep it as narrow as that to start with, mm. is just making us go, oh, God, okay, we're well back let's, again. Let's try and do that. <laughs> ne- next, let's, let's talk about some rugby. Let's get yeah, out of the boardroom and onto the field. So my, uh, like many, my trip to to Bristol v Bath was was cancelled on Friday night. Yeah. Um, so I, I and I went to London Irish Worcester on Saturday afternoon, which we'll we'll come to. Will you still got a prem double header in? Yeah. Over the first weekend, West Country. Yeah. So it started at Sandy Park, um, which they did. So all of our talk, talk earlier about what to do about the Queen, they did it really well actually. They had the chaplain come on, say a prayer, all very sombre and quiet, and then the game started and. Um, they probably shouldn't have been singing the Tomahawk Chop, but there was a, quite a lot of that going around. Actually, quite a low crowd. It was 9,000. Yeah, really low. Which is surprising. And I think it is pretty expensive to go to Sandy Park these days. I saw some Leicester fans who were saying, well, no wonder there's empty seats because it's 50, 60 quid for some of the seats. Mm. But it looked cool. Like, they've got their new hotel up and stuff like that. They're going to hopefully sell lots from that. Um, You've talked about a lot of things other than the game, which is probably... Uh, yeah. So then the game tells started. A story. <laughs> <laughs> As I said at the top, the last 30 seconds was great because yeah. um, Exeter had a penalty, they were behind, kicked to the corner, face, 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 shickling, scores, and the place goes nuts. And all the sort of somberness left everyone's bodies at that point. But I was getting a neck ache with the, the rest of it because it was kick, 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 kick. And actually, pretty much all the tries, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but apart from the Shickling one, I think all of them came from someone making a mistake from a kick. So there was um, Ollie Woodburn, hoof one up in the air after about six or seven backs and forth. Freddie Burns missed it. He injured himself just before mm. half-time. Um, and then a few phases later, there was an overlap because he wasn't in the line. And Solomone Kata, the new Tongan centre, scored. Early in the game, Harvey Skinner gets the charge down off Jimmy Gopeth. The ball bobbles into the dead ball area. Freddie Burns knocks it out. Penalty try, and Leicester scored from Rolling Moore. It and was a all charge down, Dan and Cole. a charge down from Dan Cole, which was probably the first of his life. <laughs> yeah, so it was all sort of gritty and bitty and a bit sort of average. And Leicester weren't very good. They didn't really fire a shot, but didn't try. Thought, no, and didn't you just try sort to of thought, oh shot. god, it's going to be very classic Leicester to just win this, having not played very well with lots of their players missing. And then X to beat them in the last play, and you recontextualize it and think, God, they were a bit rubbish, weren't they? Really? So that wasn't the the best game in the world, to be honest. No, it wasn't. And and and, and you see people, some guys online, you know, trying to re reframe it as a tactical battle. I am sorry. Come on, it's just boring as hell. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not a tactical battle just to hoof it from one mm. end of the ground to the other end of the ground. Mm. I mean, if it wasn't a box kick, it was a kick for length. I'm, and honestly, after 20 minutes, I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have blamed anybody, and I'm being negative again now, aren't I? I can't help it. It was rubbish. All right? You can, but you can, as we spoke, you can, you can get in, engaging, enthralling, um, strategic the final, battles. The yeah. final was like that. But that, that was a. But, but this wasn't. This mm, was no. just, you know. Um, and I, it's a sad indictment actually, in the way, because it's terribly effective. I mean, what you got to ask why the teams play like that? And Gloucester even got pulled into it. I mean, you would, you were there. Yeah, but they, they kept they, 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 and then they changed. It was <laughs> yeah. interesting. Yeah. You know, first 20, 30 minutes, every time Gloucester got kicked to, they kicked it back. Mm. They just didn't do it very well. It was kicking badly. It oh, wasn't terrible. So actually, like watching back the Bath game, and I'm for the time subscribers going to do something on this with I Monday Mall. The it's clear that what Bath are trying to do, and it's what Leicester did just a couple of years ago, is yeah. you have the ball. Yeah. So it was, there was one particular one where. Um, they had a li- attacking line out just outside the 22 and the set play was back to Pierce France at Hoofer up in the air and it actually wasn't a brilliant kick and Charles Piertel marked it but the problem was Bristol were offside so then they got a penalty from it kicked a goal there was another one where they kicked to the left hand side 
a nice little counter ruck, win a penalty, good chase, all that sort of stuff. The mall got going again. Whereas last season they were so shambolic all over the place. And it's the easiest thing when new coach comes in, isn't it? Defence, kick, do the things that require no talent, chase. And actually some of it was well-directed and almost won them a game. If it wasn't for Ellis Genge's two amazing tries, which we now have finally seen, um, the tap and go, which he ran in from 30 yards, and the other one where Sinclair pops it onto him and he just batters through about eight blokes, they would have won the game if it wasn't for that. So it works. I would like to have seen that full game, that that Bristol Bath game. But those clips of, of Ellis Genge are, are mm. dynamite for for trying to sell the upside of what we're talking about here, that you know, how to how to thrill people, how to excite people. The sight of Genge powering through people and on short passes, galloping away. It was it was brilliant. And to be fair, the Gloucester um uh, Wasp game once it got out yeah. of that first horrible yeah. 20 minutes 15 minutes when Gloucester I just thought it was nil like, nil 16 minutes uh, in you know you got Reece Samet and, then it and went into you life. got Reece Samet and Thorley you know in three your back three and, half, and you, yeah. and, and, you got the ball you know, just, un, just don't get well I do get it because it is effective and all the statistics will tell you that is a, a very very effective way to win yeah. um, I just thought Gloucester when they once they stopped doing that then they got whacked around a bit and they're 21 nil down mm. and actually it all that game all turned on one point Wasp should have gone 28 nil up mm. and they on the and on the line and the, and, and it, that I think would have been the, that would have been the ball game but they they turned it over about two yards out and it went loose and won two passes to resummit and he, he picked was, it up himself uh, it, it was, no 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 he didn't it was um Oh, the hooker, Singleton, okay, gave yeah. it to him. And so they it, Singleton picked it up and went. And and he off he went on his 95-yard journey. Yeah, with which a broken was, boot, he told us afterwards yeah, as well. Which was, Laces undone. Which was great. And he and thought then, he was slow. He and said. then, yeah, I didn't think... Funny, I'm glad you told me that because I thought, he's not as close as he used to be and he's only 20 or 21. I'll <laughs> tell you what, the, the chase from uh, Ali Crossdale, Crossdale was incredible because really, yeah. he had to turn... Make the meters up, and he almost got him. He did, he did. And still a good, very, very good finish. But then Gloucester came back. You know, momentum's a wonderful yeah. thing, and all the rest of it. And I'm not quite sure, but that was a good game. After yeah. 15 yeah, minutes was, of yeah. dross, it was a really, really good game. And actually, what it, it's the spark was the fumble and the mistake that then sent Reece yeah. Summit away. But then they built back with the stuff that they did well last season. Correct. So there was another try where they smashed a scrum kicked to the corner and then rolled them all over that ended up getting brought down then rolled another mall that got brought down so that was two yellow cards and a penalty mm. try yeah. and then they're back in the game and they are they're all over them and, and but I can't say they were good signs for us as I thought as well with, we're still with a few out yeah um, I thought the new centre from um, Berger Odendal Odendal from uh, whichever South African province he's from I think he he's going to suit their game really mm. well um, he gives them that he, he's not Andre Esterhazen, but then who is? Mm. Um, but I, I really think he looked promising, and they've got a lot of pace. Yeah, they got a lot. Of, they got a lot of poke. You Kibariki, know, they, they, oh, um, Robson still, Robson still playing. Yeah, terrific. And the young kid who came on Porter, he yeah. looked, he looks quite yeah. promising. Another Porter, promising yeah. young English mm. scrum half. Um, and they're not at full strength, and they were away, and everyone was tipping Gloucester for top four or maybe even a bit better this year. And mm. uh, I know they were short a few as well, but. But whilst I thought looked, they'll be kicking themselves. I mean, they will be absolutely kicking themselves. Yeah. How the hell did they we lose it, that? Yeah. There was a funny quit from Lee Blackett at the end, which was spot on, uh, where he said, if you bought a ticket for one end, you've got your money's worth. And it, it was <laughs> Stu Farmer, the statistician, who's brilliant, follow on Twitter if you don't follow him, for statty things that I get excited about, said it was a record for the points scored at one end in a premiership game, 48 all at one end, which is quite fun. Beating a Quinns game, I think, which sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah, and and, uh, <laughs> and 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 I haven't seen that game, but you've seen bits of it, Alex. Haven't yeah, you? yeah. The Gloucester game wasn't the only madcap fixture of mm. of the of the weekend, and um, Harlequins were back being Harlequins, winning it late, um, coast to coast tries. Uh, I know there's just we talked I think, a bit before just off off air about fan engagement and um, hat tip to their uh, social media guy who. Who who clipped up a um, one of the tries and and just just described it? We're back, 
haven't you missed us? And it just felt like that. It's, you know, talk about trying to bring some joy and some thrill and some excitement. Just go and watch Harlequins because they're they're promising it and mm. and they're delivering on it. And you know they, they could easily have lost that game, but boy, would everyone who was there have left entertained? And have we talked before about the league doesn't help itself? Ellis Genge playing in that game, and and so he should have been. It was because it's blockbuster stuff and yeah. yet he technically wasn't allowed to play in that game yeah. and they had to seek special dispensation yes. from the authorities who had trumpeted this great player welfare plan England players they have to have 10 weeks off unless you can make a decent case for, for them yeah. to come back two weeks that, early which is what that is such an English fudge isn't it completely absolute fudge yeah. you, <laughs> like, I think I think it was the right and I, I think they should all have been playing the first weekend launch the season and then manage their time. Give them off. But yeah, you, you can't announce a big strategy for player welfare. Totally. Yeah. And then not and then also not confirm who yeah. is and isn't available, what the criteria is for being allowed to play. Because yeah. you know, Ellis Genge played the maximum number of games he was allowed to last season. Mm-hmm. And yet came back two weeks early. Jack Noel didn't, or you know, and then there are others who went on the England tour and didn't play in a test. Like Schickling, for example. Schickling, yeah. he shouldn't technically have been playing Randall. either. But you know, it's case by case, in which case don't trump it. A catch-all yeah. policy that doesn't Completely. actually catch all. Completely. Um, good win for Sale, though. Yes. I, I, I must admit, I didn't have yeah. them down to win that. Uh, I thought Saints mm. would, would, would nick it, but I haven't seen it, but that's a good win. North yeah, Hampton, no one's seen it. That could be quite an interesting <laughs> one. Like, the, the post-crit... He's going to sort of still be involved, I think, from 12,000 miles away. But mm. interesting how they navigate that, because they were very good last season and got into the top four didn't they and were pretty annoyed to lose to Leicester yeah shouldn't have done actually in that game and they've got a very good young crop of players um, and I I think seems like they've recruited quite well with a couple of Aussies that have come in Angus Scott Young and James Ram Uh, Ram didn't play because he got a little knock but he's going to be good in the back three but you just think interesting how they they adapt change evolve with Phil Dalson now yeah on that theme so Dalson's now in charge Mm. and you were at Exeter just to rewind to Exeter for a second, and and wrote over the summer that, yeah. that Rob Baxter was changing his role oh, yeah. on match days and his outfit. Uh, well, so, <laughs> yeah, so that that puts more on to yeah. Ali Heifer, presumably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what when it was you interesting because w- yes, we chatted to Rob Baxter at the very end of last season about sort of their worst season for a number of years. They'd been in the final of six years in a row, and then came seventh, which was a bit sort of all oh, right. What's gone on there? And he actively said, right, I'm going to change things. I'm not going to be involved in the team on Saturdays or Sundays, whenever they play. Um, and usually he's often seen in shorts, whatever the weather is, in the, his black little zip-up top. But this week he was in the spot. It was it was sponsored kit, but it was the this nice jacket, chinos and the white crisp shirt. Um, he was still very much involved and... But, Literally behind Ali Heifer. Yeah, he changed his position for the TV, didn't and he? And wasn't I that the was BT no. mid-game chat Ali Heifer was? The question I want, has anyone asked him who the key question, though? Who's picking the team? I think he is. Right, OK. He's picking the team and he's very much um, still in charge, which Ali Heifer made clear afterwards. Because someone asked him, like, oh, is it now sort of so more that's a, So they've gone for the sort of Philippe Saint-André, Dean Richards-type, yeah. Clive Woodward-type yeah. model, whereby... Not much, if any, on-field coaching, but, but pick he has the team, team, recruit, yeah. set the tone, yeah, yeah, ultimate yeah. decision-maker. I think he's role. kind of been the ultimate director of rugby for a number of years, where he's done everything from being the defence coach to putting the cones out over the years, to doing the finances, to do the analysis. And now he's sort of getting to the point where he says, well, I actually haven't been co- directly coaching the team on the field in training for a number of years. And so maybe it helps me if I'm slightly outside what happens on a Saturday and I can have a bit more of an overview and I think he also was saying in that piece we did that he wanted to get closer to his players again and be a bit more engaged with them in the week and have sort of more chats with them in the week about how they are and stuff like that and he felt he could do that more easily if he wasn't so directly involved on a Saturday Mm -hmm. afternoon Tell you what, so they, interesting. They've got some good youngsters coming through Exeter. Yeah, they really have. They 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 they've got a little generation. You know, I talked about this last year about the Leicester generation. Mm. Mm. I think there's an Exeter one coming. That that the the, the one the kid playing the back row. And and yeah, Chinza, Chris Cross, Chinza. He he looks. I hadn't seen him play before the weekend. There were a few couple of little touches he put in. I thought, oh hello, he, he, you're going to be a he's, player. He's got very good genes. He's enormous, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> enormous. You feel I was at, so I was at London Irish Worcester, and oh. actually you feel the same. So I was there. It was the news. It was the news game 
to go to. Yeah. We weren't sure for some time whether it would even go ahead. Um, but just on your point of, of generation, Irish have, have allowed uh, Phil Cook and Singer to join Leicester, but otherwise have a very simple, particularly in the, in the, in the back division, Holly Hustle Collins was outstanding on, on both sides of the ball. The, the game, it, it, it was um, slowish to start. There was loads of penalties. Like Worcester just conceded penalty after penalty after penalty. You clearly undercooked. They'd done no real contact work for ages. But they, they started with the energy that you would expect them to. Ollie Lawrence was really good. Mm. And Irish just held them at bay and and then opened up. And, and, and Hustle Collins made a couple of big tackles, a couple of big turnovers, and then and was involved in four the first four of, of their seven tries, scoring one himself, um, creating, and then obviously Henry Arundel comes comes off the bench is magnificent. Will Joseph playing on the wing? They 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 played some really nice rugby, mm. but against a team who had had no preparation and who are in in disarray. And you know, there's been a lot of bullish talk. From players and coaches in the build-up, which which is quite right and everything you'd expect. Yeah. But afterwards, um, Steve Dyne was like, "I just, I just, I saw a thirty-point defeat here, and 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 that's what came. You know, they weren't polished enough, they weren't cohesive enough. But how can you expect them to be anything else? That they don't know they're going to get paid in three weeks' time. Mm. They don't know the club's going to exist in a month's time. Your players think it's got to be thinking, well, what do I do next? Yeah." If I get injured, yeah, that's no one's going to sign if me. If you're injured, that's it for however long. No, you do. You let's just say Matt Kvesic to pick a name, Ollie Lawrence does an MCL at Leicester, uh, at London Irish on Saturday. There's insurance there to cover the surgery, but who who would be there to manage the recovery mm. and who would sign them beyond Correct. that? And and I and I, I did ask Matt Kvesic that in the week, and he gave he gave me one of those answers in which he. He talked for quite a long time and didn't say really say anything. And I was like, he's just trying to talk his way out of this. It felt to me, you know, it has to be a concern. It's brutal. It's yeah. absolutely brutal. I mean, so you know, they, they were and they were given a really warm reception from the, the London Irish supporters, yeah, and that, and their own group of fans in, uh, who co- who congregated on on the far side. But as as we'll come to shortly, it's a they are in a dire situation. Doesn't look good. This it, it, it does look not good. look good at all. So the Times back page. Today, with your byline on Alex, what what was the latest just updates on that? It was investment who are getting a bit nervous. And so they they've been one of the things that um, Steve Diamond did say after the game was he'd been told of of conversations with new investors. Um, and my understanding was that on Sunday morning a, a bid was was tabled for, for the club, um, which would have been, and these investors have the funds to run it as a going concern not place into administration would take on the debt which is we think 25 million or so including the government debt including a six million pound um tax bill which is the the key issue there is there's a winding up court hearing on october the 6th Mm. and what we understand is that revenue and customs are going to demand that payment in full because they have they've missed um repayments along the way the club, unless it's taken over, as far as I can see, cannot cannot survive. And anyway, this this investor tabled the bid, and as of this morning, um, are prepared to walk away because what what they are offering is not what the owners want uh, in, in in terms of financial terms to benefit the current co-owners, which um, will upset people because the co-owners have been on the record talking about. We're here to preserve rugby at Worcester, mm. keep Premiership rugby at six ways, and yet there are deals in here that, that would do that, which which aren't being done. Yeah, I remember in a couple of weeks before the beginning of the season, talking to someone in the league and saying, "What's going to happen? Like, what are we going to do?" And they said, "The worst thing that we could do is not make a decision before the season starts and get halfway through the season, and we end up losing Worcester." Isn't that what's going to happen? Isn't that what's happening at the moment? We've we've mm-hmm. sort of gone. Well, we'll try and keep them going for the first couple of weeks and see what happens, and then hopefully. Yeah, I think you're a bit careful put, putting that the league's door. Mm. Oh because, yeah, no, because, no, but I mean it's there hasn't been 
they were desperate to have a definitive in or out decision before the season yeah, well, started. They, they were never again. This is the this is a, a consequence of private ownership. Um, there are lots of good things about private ownership. One of the poor things about it is that if you don't regulate, I sound like a broken record. I, I apologize, <laughs> listeners. I apologize. I really, really do. Right, but if you don't put good governance around privately owned clubs, this is what you get. Right. I mean, we don't have a fit and proper persons test in Premier Rugby. We we outsource it to the RFU. I mean, just just stop and think about that for a minute. Who don't run the Premiership. Just think about that for a minute. Twelve other clubs, privately owned, inviting another group to be a fellow shareholder, and they don't run their own fit and proper person test. Mm. That is quite extraordinary. You know, and it goes back again to 96. It was set up as a commercially vehicle, not a governing body, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think it looks, my view, looking from the outside, this does not look like it's going to end well. Um, you know, there are some assets that have already been put off into other companies, like the training. Well, well no, some of the assets have been sold. The training pitch has been sold. You know, um, we know that. That's a matter mm. on public record, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The um, there's, a, there's another piece of land that's been sliced up and into another body and that's been put a significant charge against. Again, I'm not saying anything that isn't in the public record. This has got all the signs, right, of heading towards um, administration at best. Not at worst, administration at best. Mm. Um, and this... You've got to ask who, where was the governance when this club was last? It's been, it was transferred twice in quick succession, right? It was transferred twice from the Allen family and then on again, right? And who was doing the tests of proof of funds? Now, that club was already losing three, four million a year before COVID. So, where was the evidence of proof of funds of people taking it on who could finance those degrees of short-term losses is, is one of the questions you've got to ask. And who, was at, who, who actually said, I, I, I'm told that in response once it was said, well, they passed the um, English Premier League, uh, not Premier League, English Football League um, fit and proper person test. Well, one of the owners there has just had that rescinded because he's been struck off some kind of solicitor's professional body. Uh, have, we, have we heard anything from the RFU in response to that? Anything? No, I have asked a question this morning, but before before we sat down to record, I'd had no, no reply. Um, my understanding is that Premiership Rugby will put pressure on, on this. It's not a fit and proper person test, but this process of approval that does exist at the RFU to make sure that there is there is further further are further inquiries done into into the business plan into into the longevity of you know, to be able to cover cover this. But does it not come back round to where we started, it does. which is it needs to be centrally what over other central professional sports league would not run its own process for the entry of a new owner. I asked, that's all I want to ask. Let's just throw over to to Steve Diamond, who who we did speak to after the game on Saturday night, um, just to get his perspective. He did he did say in in a in various interviews about how dire the situation was, and he could offer real, no real certainty that that even the home game against Exeter Chiefs on Sunday can go ahead, because although they desperately need it to in order to start earning some money, where do they? How do they pay the operating costs to even open the gates? Um, anyway, this was Steve Diamond on Saturday night. No, I don't feel we've been hung out to dry. I feel that it, the league is so competitive that nobody really cares about each other. None of the other clubs care about each other. The Premiership, the PRL say they do, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in the hour of need. Do they really need Worcester in the league? Well, just picking up on what you said as well about player welfare as well is ultimately is it is it safe enough for the players to play i know you got through you said with just the one kind of age yeah it's safe enough it's safe enough of course it is but it, but you, you get you get player welfare run down your throat every week if you're a coach yet when when a team hasn't actually prepared correctly i don't see the same protagonist sort of knocking on my door well there he says no one cares about worcester we, we've talked about the structure of the league we, we've heard I mean, mike blair up in in edinburgh was saying 
that they're kind of waiting because there could be some players available uh, if it was to do go bust. Mm. But it, it, he's right, isn't he? It, it's a cutthroat world. Yeah, I, th- I think people do care about Worcester, the fans, the club, the 250 people they've said that would lose their jobs if they were. People do genuinely care about that yeah, and their agree. futures and mortgages and everything else. But I think there's a growing sense that we're hearing rippling around the league of we've got the wrong number too many which Mark you've been saying since we went to 13 <laughs> and actually it's horrible to say but a cutthroat world capitalist world of premiership rugby 10 would be better and splitting the pot between 10 maybe I mean it's I know that would mean getting rid of some more clubs but supercharging the championship making it premiership 2 whatever this, the way you do it there is a bit of a growing thing that we've got too many and something like a 10-team league would solve so many issues of player welfare, rest, um, few overlaps with test rugby and all sorts else. And actually it's been feeling for a long time. I remember Owen Slot writing about this when there was a talk of the guillotine game between a team in the championship and a team in the premiership for who stayed up about four or five years ago. And I remember him writing a column then saying there's a general feeling that sort of they're just waiting for a team to die and mm. then they go, oh, well, we're very sorry for you, but we're now going to move on, which is horrendous to hear if you're a Worcester fan. But I think mm. that is genuinely some of the conversations that are going around at the moment. Well, th- there's an unfolding story there which which we'll stay on top of and Mark will end up following it from, from Fiji. So <laughs> ne- next on the pod, we're going to head to the South Pacific and, and hear all about Mark's new role uh, in Super Rugby. listening to me daisy apple's iphone disassembly robot is dismantling an iphone into lots of recyclable parts that's how apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods thanks daisy there's more to iphone one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive and june olive and june gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to two dollars a manicure which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. So Mark, you're you're going to leave us on the ruck, and I can't imagine why the uh, the prospect of a move to to beautiful Fiji uh, is more enticing than a Monday appointment here in the studio. Well, I, I'm hoping that I'll, I'll still get the odd guest appearance, you know, over the Christmas sure. and New Year when I'm back. But you know, yes, um, yes, I'm off uh, next middle of next month. I'm moving to Nandi in the western side of the main island in Fiji. So, and the, explain the job. So, you're, you're going to run the Fiji Drua, the Super Rugby team, now based in on the islands. Yes, there, there, there's a there's a model emerging in world rugby actually about what to how what is the best model. You know, I love my models uh, to uh, underpin the growth of the sport in uh, either very small, poor countries or countries where the the game has never had a great deal of purchase. And it's starting to look like one of the most important things you have is to put a. Um, a f- well, you can call it a franchise team or whatever a fully professional team underneath the national team so because most of those countries have a lot of their players playing overseas 
So you'd be amazed how many Georgians play in France, how many Fijians play all over the world, etc. And it's not just the Pacific Islands. It's also taking a bit of... Uh, it's getting a bit of traction in South America as well, We're in Chile. And it, it looks like that model's starting to really start... It's starting to get really quite effective. And so Fiji is a classic first mover, really. Um, how did you... The problem with Fiji has always been, well, A, money and beat governance uh, and and see um <clears throat> getting enough getting the players together for long enough mm. and it's huge gap between the semi rodradas and the and the world superstars and the Vakanakas in, in 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 the top 14 and the guys who are on the island who are semi pro at best playing in pretty ordinary facilities you know but everyone loves the game and everybody plays and there's a huge amount of talent could you get a Super Rugby team based on the island. People have been talking about it, including myself, for decades. The funding now looks pretty good. Um, still a bit of a challenge. That's partly my job, but it looks pretty good. They had their first year last year, which was wrecked by COVID, had to play uh, most of the games in Australia, which was not ideal because couldn't get a crowd really and all the rest of it. But played the last two games on Ireland, one in Suva and one in Latoka. And it was just go and watch it on YouTube, honestly. Right. It's, it's under the best fans in the world, and it's just a great sort of 10 or 11 minute clip. Um, the, the enthusiasm, the, the love, the sheer joie de vivre of it is just, just extraordinary uh, in a very, very poor country. And so. When I was given the chance, I was completely out of the blue. Headhunter rang me up. I was just minding my own business out in Hertfordshire. And, and it, about three or four months later, I agreed that I'd give it a crack. Does that cover the women's team as well? No, no, the, the, the Fijiana. But we are doing a lot of, uh, already we, we've got two games where we're going to double-head it with the Fijiana player. They're incredibly popular in Fiji, mm. the women's team. They really are. And they won the uh, they won the Super Rugby sort of tournament last year. They're a, they're a really... They're a very, very talented bunch. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 it's got some significant challenges too. It's not some kind of, you know, we'll just rock up on the beach and, and knock it about. You know, we've got to put in some really proper processes and really proper um, uh, sort of methodology. But, I'm 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 terribly excited about it, you know. Um, and it, I suppose it's a little bit of a purpose project, you know. If you could, if we could help, it's not the only thing, but if this could help to cement Fiji's place as a genuine regular quarter semi finalist in the World Cup in the next twenty years, that would be that'd be pretty cool. I think we're all looking. I was talking to someone about this the other day about the World Cup next year. And if Fiji were to upset the apple cart in that Wales-Australia mm. pool, that would be chaos. That would be brilliant. Because like, at the moment, as we've always said with these World Cups, you end up with the same eight, largely, same four, largely. Japan was the exception, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. But if they were to be that little banana skin, because mm. at the moment it possibly would be England-Australia or England-Wales and then um, Argentina or Japan against the other one. But if Fiji throw the cat among the pigeons in that and it blows it all open and then all the other sort of top four sides in the world are on the other side of the draw blow it all apart be amazing the interesting thing is so the the flying Fijian squad that was picked last year had 16 Drua players in it now that's a big big change already after one a bit after like... a one year that's a big big change not too many I think six or seven made the made the run on 23 but 16 sorry run on 23 the 23 match day squad but that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get, and we all know Ben Darwin's theories. That, um, you know, and there are there is something in it. You know, that, that whereby players need to play together for sort of continuity. It's the Haguaris thing that's now stopped. Absolutely, yeah. yes. So um, look, there's still big, big challenges. There's still sort of certain positional bits where we're, uh, the Fijians find it. You know, pars and pars of back rows and back threes. <laughs> not so many halfbacks and not so many props, but. You know, this gives it, to be honest, without being too romantic about it, or I am a bit, um, it gives boys and hopefully soon girls on the island, I think I can't stress that enough, who are on the island, that you don't always have to leave the island to become a professional rugby player. You don't have to go off and take a, a dodgy contract in, you know, the fourth division of France or 
off you go to Georgia to play in their competition. Look, the very, very we're realistic. The very, very, very best players, the the real headline players, will always go because we'll never be able to compete on the money. But you know, we won two games in Super Rugby last year. We took the Chiefs to a point in, at, at home. You know, the, yeah, give it to. I've got signed a three-year deal. Um, let's hope by the end, you know, we've seen some significant progress. Live rock from Suva. Nandy? You're always welcome. You're always welcome. <laughs> we, every few weeks we come up with a live... Well, live rock from New York was one of them, wasn't it? Yeah. Live rock from Chile, that's another one. Live rock from Fiji. Yeah, uh, we'd uh, have to go to Cape Town for the first, Cape round, first round of Europe. Well, actually, on Cape Town, the Fijian Sevens men's team won the They World did, Cup. won the World Cup. They yeah, they yeah. did, yes. So they're now Olympic and World Cup champs, which is... And great. still... English coach again. And yeah, Ben Gollings, yeah. Yeah, and still the biggest former rugby popularity was on the islands. That 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 is number one yeah. still at the moment. Although the Drua are making, because it's their team based in their their towns, the Drua's support is, is growing really very, very quickly. Right. We'll hear more from Fiji in, in the coming months. And yeah, I like the idea of a of a lo- pod on location. Um, we need to finish with our weekly feature of, of God or Goddess. Um, Mark, do you, do you want to go first? Yeah, I, I, there were so many contenders for Devil of the Week. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we've got I'm, to try and I'm keep gonna it up. Go the other, I'm gonna go the <laughs> other way, and and I'm gonna go with. A, I, even though I wasn't at the game, I've only seen the clips. I'm gonna go because I just think, without trying to big him up too much, he's just a, he's just a. He's lightning in a bottle. I mean, Henry Andrew, London mm. Irish. I mean, he's just such an exciting player. Uh, he's got it. He's just got it. And uh, again, came off the bench, you know, two tries, one, one of which was just terrific. The, the skill level to half volley Hassel Collins's chip head at full pace yeah. and control the weight of it so that all he had to do was drop on it was... Just remarkable, and, and trust me, I'm not. I am not arguing him. Put him in the England team. Put him in the England team. But you know, if it's him or twenty minutes of kick tennis, I'll have him. Thanks. <laughs> um, well, I'm gonna. I go. Will you go next? Because yeah. I might have to lift the mood again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel, again, I, on the way back from um, Gloucester Wasps, I was trying to watch or catch up on Bristol Bath on the sort of one camera feed that ended up on the Premiership website and. We, I suppose we probably should say we don't contone these things, but it was quite funny when <laughs> um, that Luke Morahan scored in the right-hand corner, and there was a general sort of melee of shoving and boring stuff at like that. But then the, the stupid thing that happened was Niall Annett, who wasn't on the field, he was wearing. It, it was made more funny by the fact that he was wearing a little green bib. He piled in. Didn't actually hit anyone or anything, I don't think, but just escalated it unnecessarily. The referee was like, right, we're not having any of that, and sent him off. So Niall Annett has yet to play for Bath because he's signed in the summer, but he's already been sent off for Bath. And actually he put out a little grovelling apology on Twitter saying, I've lost my head, and that wasn't very clever, was it? But it was just the sight of him sort of head in hands with his little green bib on walking (laughs) off. I just thought it was quite funny. But So, yeah, he's my... Dev of the week that's probably quite deserved. Um, yeah, I'm, I was. I want to name check Ollie Hassel Collins because I, I thought he was superb. But I'm going to go for, for Ellis Genge from the same game. Uh, again, I haven't had the chance to see his whole performance, but as a, you know, I, I had a really good long chat with him on the summer tour in, uh, in Australia. His role in that England team is critical now, um, off the field as, as much as on it. And just to watch this, to have had the opportunity really to to watch this kid develop from the raw, angry, um, confrontational youngster who arrived at Leicester through to this point where he is the, you know, he's the the face of of Bristol now. He's an England vice captain. And to just just those box office moments of, of, of the two tries that he scored to help his new team, his new old team, um, open with a win. I'm just gonna I'm gonna pick him because I think the game the game needs more Henry Arundel's. It needs it needs more Hassel Collins's and it needs it needs more Ellis Genges. So he he gets my vote this week. Um, listen, we'll be back in a week's time uh, to uh, cover 
all sorts of you know rugby is not a sport anymore that shuts down between the weekends there's there's news ongoing and we'll we'll be covering it um we can't soft soap it we would just all like to to gather next monday and have a lot of positive uplifting rugby to discuss but no doubt we'll have a few a few issues to to chuck into the mix as well thanks everyone for listening will thanks for joining us Mark, good to see you again. Cheers. Uh, And, yeah, we'll be back. Please like, please subscribe. Thanks to Alfie for producing as ever. And um, have a good week. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.